0: It's Sunday, April 30th, and you're listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a movie podcast interrupted by a baseball discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney.
1: And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, we begin with Tom's selection, the Akira Kurosawa film Ikiru. Then we pivot to the cross-dressing classic Tootsie. In Peanuts, we examine the issue of robot umpires. Will we see them in the major leagues? We take a look at the YouTube documentary "Last Comisty, while we break down some of the White Sox' recent struggles. The Oakland A's will soon have the dubious distinction of having changed addresses three times. Drew Smiley loses a chance at a perfect game in the most agonizing way. Are the Pittsburgh Pirates for real? How are you doing, Tom?
0: I'm uh, I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Waiting for uh, you know spring slash summer to kick in up here.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The weather's getting warmer here, but you know, I don't know if you had
0: time in your busy schedule, the NFL draft, which again is an event unto itself. It is. No sports um, draft, at least in North America. I don't know if soccer is like this in, in no. Europe, but um, certainly here, we really kind of do the draft as, as it's, 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 it's almost like a pagan religion.
1: It is. it is, and all these people, all these fans, show up in Kansas City cheering like crazy because their team picked a player. You know, yeah. I- right, right, right. I, I feel the same way. Just give me the list. Give yeah.
0: me all who we got, and let me do my own research. I don't need all the hoopla and the family jumping up and down, and you know, and people getting injured. People have gotten yeah. injured at these celebration parties. But, but the point I'm trying to make is. I haven't felt this good about the bears in a very long, long time. And this new GM is probably the best guy we've had since Jerry Venisi who helped build the 85 bears. Um, but everything I'm reading, including their late round, their, their seventh round picks, um, last night or yesterday afternoon, um, you know, he, I'm hearing stuff that he stole this player at this at this particular pick so we've never heard that with yeah. the Bears you know GMs in the past in, in all honesty it, it not even close and so um I, you know I, are we as good as the Detroit Lions um who who improved mightily? I, I don't know they lost a couple starters due to gambling for the whole year uh yeah. but uh the Bears got an A is what I'm saying in the draft.
1: They did get an A. I'm very excited about what they did. I love the way, you know, you talked about what this guy Poles is doing. I think it's fantastic. He's making trades. He's acquiring picks. He's using those picks to move up in the draft to get players that he wants. You know, they seem to have a plan for the first time in a long time. Uh, I'm very, very excited about what's going on. I, I, I'm not going to expect them to contend right away but I am pleasantly, well, let's just put it this way. I am optimistic about what the bears have done and I'm looking forward to what should be an exciting season.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. But speaking of bears. Oh um, yes, yeah. I, you know, I live, I live in the the, uh, middle of the mitten in uh, Michigan and um, we have bears that are amongst us always have had bears. I mean, they were here before us, let's be honest. Uh, But um, recently, because bears like to get by water, um, we people's ring cameras have started to show bears that are very close to where I take my daily walk.
1: Oh, too, no. Let's put it
0: this way. Too close for comfort, in my opinion. The good thing that I is, uh, for me, in, or my case, I do this in the daylight, and bears aren't they are don't, they're typically nocturnal, at least when they move closer to civilization. And again, they're basically harmless. But a point I'm trying to make is, I left Chicago... Because of flying bullets to a certain degree, or the potential of flying bullets to a certain degree, and it's out of one uh, uh, horror story to another. And this is just a different kind of uh, American horror story, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: really, yeah, you' you're you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Um you know, and and I, I don't think you should have a problem unless you happen to come across a mother bear and her cubs.
0: correct. Correct. You
1: know, that would be I, the only, you know, but uh,
0: well, you know one last thing, everybody in town carries bear bear spray or um bear repellent or whatever to a certain degree. Um, in fact, you can see people approaching you and you you kind of go, hey, are you happy to see me or is that just bear spray in your pocket?
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and it's
0: bear spray because you just don't ever know. However, I'm one of those people that... Uh, I feel like I'm going to be fumbling if a bear is coming at me and I've got to get my bear spray. I, I just, it, it yeah. could not end. And then it, he could get pissed off. Like oh, he could be like, Oh no, you didn't, you didn't pull out bear spray. And it's just not going to end well for me. I, yeah,
1: I, yeah. That, that, that would be bad, Tom. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, bears, well, you know, just make sure your garbage cans are covered and, yeah. you know. Well,
0: the, the thing around here is you got to pull the bird feeders in. You oh yeah, beca- yeah. Because they go for those things, and, and people are like, "Hey, you want to keep the bears out of our neighborhood? Take down the bird feeders." Well, one of the reasons that people are up here is the beauty of the birds. Believe me, it's one of our one of the joys that we get up here is the the multitude of different, you know, species and so forth. We would never take them down, but it's pause, uh, pause for thought. Uh, yeah, I know but, it is. It is. But anyways, uh, enough about the bears. <laughs>
1: up the bag of popcorn let's get to your selection and the movie is called ikiru and it is by akira kurosawa who is the great japanese director and um this is a a movie that i had never seen and um you know it it develops slowly as many of the japanese movies from that era probably do but basically it is about a mid-level bureaucrat working at city hall mr watanabe whose job is to sit in front of a desk and put a seal on different documents that cross his desk. And he's sort of lived his whole life without accomplishing anything of of interest. And he he sat in front of this desk, they nickname him the mummy in this office. And it's kind of a commentary on uh, Japanese government bureaucracy as we see a group of women who come into the office Who are from a neighborhood and they want the government to fill in a culvert, a sort of sewer or sewage area, and they want it filled in because it's breeding mosquitoes and it stinks. This kind of cesspool, and they get sent to a dozen different departments. We're all like, "Oh no, that's public works." "Oh no, you got to go to the parks department." "Oh no, you got to go to public relations." And 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 these women are just Frustrated that they can't get any service from their local government, um, so our hero, Mr. Watanabe, discovers that he has stomach cancer and it is probably going to be fatal. He has between six months to a year to live, and uh, and, and and he 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 sort of is afraid that he finally has to face death, and and he regrets that he's done so little with his life. So he extracts 30,000 yen from the bank and he meets a dark stranger in a bar and, and, and asks him to help him find a way to, to live life, to, to enjoy his life for a little bit. So he takes him out for a great night out in Tokyo. Um, it's, it's interesting, the, they go to nightclubs, they go to cabarets, they drink, but it's all very melancholy. Um, he still isn't finding the joy that he craves. Um, then he is approached as he's sort of nursing off his hangover. He is approached by a woman, a young woman who works in the office, who wants to resign from the position because she just hates working there so much because it's just so tedious. And he sort of strikes up a friendship with her and he decides to sort of apply some of his money towards her and give her some attention. But even that ultimately is unfulfilling. She is beautiful. She is vivacious, but she's not really the the fact that this older man is kind of taking an interest in her, even though he doesn't seem to want her sexually, you know, it's just not a kind of it's again, it's unfulfilling. But then while they're sitting in a nice restaurant, he realizes what it is he must do to sort of redeem his life and that he's going to return to the office after taking a week off of sick leave. And he's gonna dedicate the rest of his life to making sure that the women from that neighborhood get that culvert filled in and they finally get some public service from their local government and that they build a park for the children in that neighborhood. Um, He ends up passing away and the word gets out as the women are aware that he was the one who worked so hard to get them that park, even though the public officials don't wanna give him any credit for it. And, and eventually he is redeemed for, for his efforts. And he, did, he does accomplish something worthwhile in his life. And I was very happy you selected this movie. I'm, I'm not familiar with a great deal of Kurosawa's work. I've seen the Seven Samurai. Uh, what was the other one we saw Rashomon, Rashomon. You know, he, he, he's a tremendous director working in black and white the use of light you know I mean but but at the same time because I'm an American there are some cultural aspects that I'm sort of that, that sort of elude me but nevertheless uh, this is an important movie to see I, I, I wouldn't say that it is a, a movie that You know, you need to go out and see this because you'll be so entertained. But if you fancy yourself someone who is interested in movies, then you need to see this. Uh, This is a movie that Roger Ebert said that he saw every five years or so and never failed to be moved in some way by it. And I was moved. Um, You know, it was a hard movie to get through on some levels, but uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. And I want to thank you very much for selecting it.
0: Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you liked it this is um this film which was wedged between Rashomon, which uh Kurosawa made in 1950 and um uh seven Samurai which came out in 54 but it was actually made in 53 this one was made in 1952 um this is Steven Spielberg's favorite film well um, uh, of yeah. all time and you can see why and I do see why Ebert. Uh, uh, watches it every five years. Um, I have to say, back in the 70s, in Detroit, our PBS station would show films. And I do remember this film being on, but I didn't really pay attention to it. I have to be honest, and I was, a, you know, a teenager. And so I said, yeah, I saw Kuru, but I never really did until this past week. And um, I can just tell you, I, I the movie blew me away. I mean, I just, I think that, it, I understand why Ebert watches it every five years, uh, you know, a man learns he's dying to learn how to live. And, and yeah. that's really the, to me, you explained all the movie perfectly, but to me, the whole story was him coming face to face um, with his own uh, mortality and um, him realizing that, that, and he hasn't had much time left, and you know, and all these complications. He's got his son who doesn't want his father to be spending his inheritance. You know, there's all these things going on, but it's really about this man who you know wants to breathe breathe the air and 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 from as a young kid seeing this film and really not paying attention meant nothing to me. But as an older yeah. person watching this film, it really kind of touched me. Now it, it again it, it, it immediately went into my top 50 films but only 37th. And I don't think it's as good as um uh Seven Sam. the other two films Seven Samurai or, or Rashomon. Rashomon. I I don't but I do think that it's it does say something about, you know, you need to live your life and go out and, and 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 that's one of the beauties of why I live where I live right now and why I love it is the fact that nature is it's overwhelming how beautiful and how you get to experience life when you see beauty like this as opposed to a concrete jungle.
1: You know what one of the other things i found interesting about the movie is that you you see a lot of 1950s tokyo and 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 you know you're it's interesting to see how the japanese as a society were trying to emulate the americans so very much you know after recently finishing a war yes. with and being occupied by them
0: and, including the bureaucracy largely yeah. copied from from I, I don't know if that it's the united states but but western um you know uh ways but may, yeah. maybe more more steeped in in london in england actually to tell you the truth but but yes you're right it, 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 and you know the other thing too is the soft touch of kurosawa on this subject i mean you you could really if you think about it, you could really beat the viewer over the head with with you know um, uh, cliches and 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 just uh, uh, metaphors that are just over the top. He just had a really soft touch, and that scene where um, you know um, Takashi Shimura, which by the way, here's an old little side story: Toshirô Mufoon was the lead actor in almost every Kurosawa film except this one because he when this film shot he was like 34 and takashi you know, shimura yeah. was 47 he looked like he was 67 to be honest with you he he, did, he was phenomenal in this movie and it was pretty, and kurosawa was 100% right uh about that and uh you know this is just a joy and i don't know whether i'm going to watch it every 5 years but i look forward to getting older and losing my memory and seeing it again for the first time <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it 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 was a, it was an excellent movie, and I agree with your contention that that uh, Rashomon is the superior film, but not not by much, you know. And, and and it also is a tribute to what a great director Kurosawa was. Right, right. How important it, he is just to the art of cinema, and uh, and and you know you you need to if you if you're interested in film to any degree, if you're an aspiring film student. You need to see these movies to see how he uses the camera to play with light to really create the scene. Every image is so carefully crafted. I I really was impressed. Thank you very much. Let me tell you about my client, Michael Dorsey. He was a fine actor, maybe a great
0: actor. But for every role he wanted, there was a reason why he wasn't right. Sorry, you're too tall. I can be shorter. Nah, no, can't use you. Too short. Oh, I can be taller. Too moody. Next. Too old. Too stubborn. You too much trouble. Too tough.
1: Too temperamental. Too pushy. Too difficult. Michael. No one will hire you. Just watch me. But boy, did he show us.
0: He auditioned for the female lead on a soap opera and became the hottest new actress in America. And you know what? No one knows his new identity, not even the girl he's madly in love with. Soon everyone will know that she's Dustin Hoffman and he's Tootsie. All
1: right, um, let's get to my selection. I I went in a completely different way. I chose, Uh, The 19, I think, 82, 83 movie Tootsie, which is with Dustin Hoffman. He is a struggling actor in New York City who's talented, but he's so passionate about his work that he's extremely difficult to work with. He gets into arguments with directors, with other actors about how things should be done. And he has these temper tantrums. And his agent can't get him a, uh, can't get him a job anywhere. Um, so he decides he wants to put together his own play that his roommate, played by Bill Murray, has written about a couple that returns to the Love Canal. <laughs> He's going to raise his own money to do it. But, but again, he can't find any work. Um, his friend, Sandy, is auditioning for a part in a soap opera. He helps her with the audition, which she doesn't get. And he decides that he's going to audition for the same part as this female hospital administrator. So he puts on women's clothing and goes to the audition as a woman and gets the part. And not only does he get the part, he becomes an incredible success playing this woman that no one knows that uh, it's a man. And uh, he becomes very popular on the soap opera. Some of the things that worked against him as an actor, as a man, sort of work in his favor as a woman. But he also sees the other side of things how the director exploits the other actresses on the cast and he sort of sexually harasses them and so on and so forth. And, you know, but then he falls in love with the female lead on the soap opera and they begin to spend a lot of time together as very, very good friends. She doesn't realize that. You know it's a it's a man behind all that makeup and <laughs> and, and
0: slightly per, slightly
1: preposterous
0: but anyways
1: <laughs> it is per, well, slightly per, but but complicating matters even further um her father falls in love with him falls in love with <laughs> her falls in love with Dorothy and 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 it, and it leads to some of the most hilarious scenes in film you know when 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 her father asks Dorothy to marry him, you know, and he has to go and explain this to his agent, who he's trying to get him out of the contract for the, for the soap opera. And there's just so many wonderful films. The old doctor on the soap opera comes to his apartment or her apartment and tries to rape her, you know, and, and he's only saved by the fact that his roommate comes home at the last minute. And that sort of drives off the drunken lecher and, and when he finally leaves, he looks at him and says, you slut, in one of the great lines of the movie, which is just chock full of just wonderful, hilarious mo- uh, moments. I, if you haven't seen Tootsie, this is a movie that will really entertain you from the beginning to the end. And as we watch how Michael learns about how to be a better man by playing a woman. You know, and uh, it's quite a good movie. If you haven't seen it, I totally recommend it.
0: Yeah, you know, um, this is another film. There's a theme today. This is another film that I saw when I was 22 or 23 years old. And apparently my brain couldn't process it because I couldn't stand this film when I first saw it and and couldn't wait for it to be over. But, of course, I saw it like in a VHS environment and it just wasn't. like it what i just recently saw it and it and this was really uh, a, a very good and important film and also as it turns out because of the me too movement which i'll yeah. talk about in a second it's ironic about this film but let's let's talk about um the movie itself um you know uh I give this film three stars, and, and I and I know Ebert gave it four stars. The part of the problem for me was the Dustin Hoffman character, only because there were people that actually believed that he was a woman I never did. In seeing it again, I never believed it again. It's like, I, I know you want to suspend belief or disbelief, whatever you want to say, but I never didn't look, but there's they make jokes about it. Like they're like, hey, we had close yeah. up, and they're like, hey, not too close, or yeah, you know, don't get, close. don't get too close. Uh, and, and I felt that way as the viewer, like, yeah, don't it, like it's not a very attractive woman because nothing against Dustin, a tremendous actor. He's not the most attractive man. I mean, he's just got no. a great Hollywood Humphrey Bogart type face, but it's like if Bogey wore a dress or when mm. Bugs Bunny wore a dress, it just, it just i wasn't believable to me I, I, for whatever reason that being said i love dabney Coleman. I, loved Garr, I, yes. loved Garr. I love terry gar but i always love terry gar um Garr. and jessica lang one, uh, jessica lang who won an oscar is just outstanding in this film but that's the one part where i'm like i know you don't you really think this is a chick you know or or i, no. I, I don't know it just that Great finish, and also, as part of our theme this year, to a certain degree, great uh, New York 1980s. Uh, you just, you can't get enough of it. They actually used brand new type of film. I don't have the actual name of it, and this was the very first film it was used on, and you can kind of tell that it really has a great color tone to the film itself. Um, creepy and homophobic. I, you know, I, I got to say that I, 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 it, there's certain things that in retrospect, it just hasn't aged well uh, in the in kind of in the world that we live in. And then in all the women on this film said that Hoffman was nothing but a gentleman during this movie. However, don't don't google dustin hoffman and sexual harassment on on, on google because you're not going to be happy with what you see it's kind of
1: well yeah he was kind
0: of a lecherous guy and you would think him being a female and by the way this is totally a dustin hoffman uh vehicle he came up with the idea his grandmother used to call him tootsie he thought Mm -hmm. about this idea while he was making kramer versus kramer because he was like i have to be both a mother and a father to this child and that's what created this film, which was a comedy versus a drama. Uh, And again, popping a tremendous uh, film presence, but it just, there was just some creepy things in the film itself where it's like, you know, you can't really do that anymore, guys. You can't, you can't use the gay people as your, your uh, comedic foil. Uh, based on their sexual orientation. I just don't think it plays.
1: Well, I, I will say that I think the movie does have some, some. you say it has an age. Well, I do think that it has a touch of modern relevance with all of the anti-drag queen. Re- right, right, but
0: that, in an ironic sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and and that here you have the main character who's basically a cross-dresser. But, but, but you know, he, he gets asked finally, why did you do it, Michael? And he says, I, I, I did it for the work
0: you right. know right. he's an
1: actor he needs to work ultimately and, and that's why he did it and and uh you know it propels him you know he's a big star now after it's all over because he pulled the wool over the eyes of everyone and uh and and, and it's just it, it it it's funny because it pokes fun at soap operas it pokes fun at uh, relationships between men and women and, and just sort of the way that the casting couches work and things like that. This is a wonderful, wonderful movie. They made it into a Broadway musical.
0: I think. Yeah, yeah, they did. And, and you uh, know, uh, before we go, I, I do want to mention Bill Murray, who's like the, the relationship between Murray, um, which, by the way, was largely improvised by Murray himself. Absolutely. And, and, and you can tell. um I, I thought there was parts of that just, there was just something about the Bill Murray character that I just thought was, it just didn't work for me. However, um, Hoffman insisted that Pollock play the agent, and to me, he stole the film. Yeah, Paul, yeah. The director yeah. of the film steals the film. That's very unusual that that actually happens. Yeah, This and is an extremely likable film. Um, it, I, I, it, I love it when he it, says,
1: You know, you know, he gave me a ring, you know, he asked me to marry him, and he's like, Well, well what did you say? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. like, his girlfriend, you know what I mean? It, it's just, it's just, I, I, there's so many great moments in this movie. I, I like what Bill Murray did playing this sort of slacker writer, you know what I mean, who's just got all these really good lines, you know, and uh, and it's just, I, I. I, I really enjoyed it. I've been wanting to talk about this movie for a long time, so
0: yeah. Um, and the other thing too, it was uh, you know Christine Ebersole's uh, film debut, uh, um, uh, as well as a few others. I, I just the it, you know ultimately I would recommend this film, which is again this is a, a movie that uh, if you asked me twenty years ago, I would say whatever you do, don't watch watch it. But
1: um, we get but, to see we get to see the lovely Gina Davis, a very young yes, woman, correct. Who, You know, in her lingerie, which is a wonderful moment. There, she's quite good. Charles Durning plays the uh, the father who falls in love with Dorothy. You know, and uh, (laughs) again, good
0: luck with that.
1: (laughs) And then Dabney Coleman is the lecherous. I love
0: that. I love Dabney Coleman. Yeah, completely inappropriately uh, played by Dabney Coleman. By the way,
1: he he. I mean, only Dabney Coleman. Could play that part. that's right
0: that's yeah. correct he's by the way still alive like 92 93 years old wow. uh, which you. is incredible but anyways thanks for recommending that that's that's a great film and uh th- that concludes our uh that concludes the popcorn
1: discussion Time to open up the bag of peanuts, and we'll begin our baseball discussion this episode with uh, the possibility of robot umpires making their way to the major leagues. Now, we've seen this, or they've had this in certain levels of the minor leagues where they've had sort of an electronic strike zone, and the results have been sort of how do you say it up and down. Um, The strike zone has been so consistent that what it's done is it has led to a lot of walks, Uh, a lot more walks and a lot more called third strikes. And, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of robot umpires. I do think that baseball needs a human context. Now, I haven't seen a game with a robot umpire. I don't know if it still has an umpire. And I don't know if such a game sort of would feel the same way with a box of digital light sort of, making balls and strike calls, but, uh, but I'm, I'm against this. I don't like this whatsoever. Um, and I think ultimately major league baseball won't like this because it does lead to more walks, more strikeouts and less action, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, I have mixed feelings about this because, uh, first of all, that article in the athletic was great. As it pointed out some of the early results on the uh, speeded up, games the uh pizza box like bases yeah all that stuff which is which was great great information in there i'm all for accuracy if they somehow could create a hybrid where there's an umpire on the field that maybe is um uh instructed on what it is electronically whether it's a strike because that's the part like if you could somehow make the calls 100% accurate why would you not want that why would you not want that
1: I agree. However, I do think that context plays a great plays a role in this, you know, when it's three and oh, and, and the pitcher gets it close, then you can call a strike, you know what I mean, you can give him a strike there. And I, and I think that we've seen that for decades. And I don't think there's anything wrong with continuing that. I mean, the idea is that you're supposed to try to put the ball in play. Um, I, I think that it's it's good to swing at strikes, and I think that hitters should aspire to that. But at the same time, hitters should also aspire to put the ball in play. They shouldn't go up there trying to draw 150 walks a season. I, I no, know that-
0: I, I'm not suggesting that. All, all I'm saying is I think there's a happy medium here, whether you where you would have a human umpire on the field behind the catcher, but maybe electronically. Um, and again. Think about the speed of the game. You can't, whatever it is that you have in there, it has to kind of keep up with the flow of the game because we're already seeing now one of baseball's best young hitters, Juan Soto, is struggling mightily with the fact that he can't get into the batter's box on time because of all of his little machinations. And I thought to myself, the Mike... Hargroves of the world, these human rain delays over time, and there's been many of them, would have really struggled. And it's the same thing with Scherzer. He's also struggled uh, uh, with it. So his pitchers and hitters are now struggling with this. You know what I say? As a fan who's enjoyed the hell out of what's going on now, get used to it make it part of your life embrace it i get it you don't like it it makes you uncomfortable you know what else makes me uncomfortable like your chin music makes me uncomfortable if you're the pitcher or you know what i'm saying like there's always you you can make a negative comment about anything but as a fan it's been great there's been an uptick in stolen bases but not too much
1: it hasn't been a radical one you're right you know
0: the greatest play in baseball is a triple that's what ernie harwell used to say you know what and a, a home run third is a stolen base yeah yeah and, and and theo will be the first to tell you the fans love a stolen base they just love to see it so anybody that's saying there's too much of it and it's gone up slightly it's just hogwash
1: Well, you know, it it harkens back to those great uh, Cardinal teams from the 1980s and even the Big Red Machine in the 70s. These were teams that that took extra bases. They stole bases. It was wonderful, you know, and it was a different era Um, where we haven't gotten to that point yet where bases are being stolen at, at the rate or attempted to be stolen at the rate that we saw. It's
0: gone up modestly.
1: But it has gone up modestly, and I think it's good. And I think that, you know, you, you, you have a team like the Cubs that does have speed at the top of the lineup with a couple of guys who are getting on base. You know, I think that it adds a dimension to your offense, and it puts pressure on the defense. I really thought that catchers would struggle trying to throw runners out. That hasn't been the case. I think that some of the catchers have done a great job um, stopping the running game but even though uh some catchers are, are still doing what they've always done you're still seeing guys attempting it and i think that that's just good for every everyone the
0: the, the best managers embrace these changes and are already figuring out ways around them That's that's you know, that's it's about, you know, especially like the pitchers throwing to first base and all the whole timing of this, which I think ultimately will be completely ironed out. It's just the first year and some people just don't like change and baseball fans, as it turns out, are some of the most uh, amount of people that don't like change because they're so steeped in nostalgia that they can't they can't see the fact that if you don't evolve, it's not going to continue that's why we talked about football to me, football is humorous in my mind, because I know when I leave the planet, it'll still be a thriving sport. I'll bet you it won't be in a hundred years. There's just too many brain injuries. I just don't, I don't, I think it's going to go the way of the uh, chariot races. I mean, and people be like, remember how great it used to be, but you just can't, bang your head into somebody else's head it's a stupid thing whereas baseball it's different if if, like for example you know and i think this is a perfect uh segue and we're, we're skipping here but i want to talk about the oakland a's right now because the oakland a's and you and you uh, made an, uh, a reference to the fact that they're moving for the third time. Yeah, they're to actually the moving. For the, they're well, actually m- moving for the fourth time if you count the Philadelphia Athletics, yeah. who was the team before the Kansas City Athletics, and, and then, then the, the Oakland team. Athletics, and yeah. now the Las Vegas. Yeah, this is. And the, I don't know what even you uh, on on the take. Athletics, you know, yeah. you're in a gambling town. You have to have some kind of a new gambling name. <laughs>
1: This will be their fourth address, you know, and when they were the Philadelphia Athletics, they were one of the powerhouses of the American League. They went to Kansas City. They had uh, Ken Harrelson on that team. They were never very good there, but then they go to Oakland and in the 70s and in the 90s, they enjoyed some great success. But but now they've sort of fallen on hard times. And I can't imagine you know, how difficult it must be to be an Oakland A's fan. The commissioner even said so.
0: The, 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 there's a whole political backstory here where, and the reason why I'm bringing this story up right now is that that Oakland has to evolve, and that's they're doing what they have to do to get a it's new evolved, stadium, yeah. which they have been trying to do with the city of Oakland going back to 2000. That's till the very early 2000s, and they have they were unsuccessful a couple of times. It was close, but not really ever to the point where the entire city was going to embrace the cost of this new stadium. And that didn't help that the fans weren't really embracing the team during that entire time. They
1: they didn't really come when they were good, right? And you know, I, I
0: just think that all of these changes that people are against you have to it, that's look at oakland as a cautionary tale of what will happen to your fr- to these smaller franchises if you want to play hardball with these billion dollar owners they'll just take their ball and go home or go in this case to las vegas
1: yeah yeah no it 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 is it is interesting that uh, you know that they've really been in search they're they're sort of like the the wander i don't know like the wandering nomadic team Looking for a permanent home. I, I I hope that Las Vegas works out for them, uh, as as Las Vegas has sopped up two Oakland teams. But uh, you know we'll we'll you know the Raiders now and then and now the A's. But uh, but anyway, so I want to mention uh, this documentary that's been out now for a few months, and this is called Last Comiskey. And basically, it was a documentary made as a not for profit effort uh, during the pandemic for these guys who just had. Nothing to do, and they put together a documentary on the last season at uh, Old Comiskey Park, which was 1990, and that was essentially my first full year living in Chicago. And 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 you know, I saw a ton of games that year at that ballpark. And what I loved about this documentary, you know, was not not only learning about all the sort of inside stuff about the old ballpark and things that were going on in the tunnel and in the clubhouse. But how many of those games that year I had seen that I had actually attended in person? Um, you know, there was, the, uh, there was the Andy Hawkins no-hitter that the Yankees lost. Right. Greg Hibbert, I was at that game. I was at the first uh, turn back the clock day uh, against the Brewers. Uh, I remember Rob Deere hit the longest ball I've ever seen hit at a major league ballpark he did it in batting practice and he crushed it and the ball cleared the roof in left field it was foul but the ball was still going up when it had cleared the roof in left field and you could hear the ball sizzle through the air (laughs) just just scream out of the ballpark I, when you I, say
0: I, the word sizzle, I just thought of bacon there. You know, it is Sunday morning. But anyway, Sunday
1: ahead. morning, <laughs> I, I went to the Nolan Ryan game, which is the second game of a doubleheader after a long rain delay. And I stuck around. I went with a bunch of guys. and They're like, oh, we we want to go home. I can't I can't hang around here for this second game. And I'm like, Nolan Ryan is pitching. I'm staying right here. And Craig Graybeck hit his first home run of his career off of Ryan and then Isaac Guillen followed up with another home run, and then Ryan, the next time he faced Grayback, hit him right in the ribs, and that started seasons of bad blood between those two teams. You know, and I was at that game, and uh, you know, there, I, I had so much fun going to that 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 old ballpark, and I was so sorry to see it go. It really, you know, I I'm, I was watching it again last night, the third episode, and just you know, the interviews with the fans and the players and, you know, how, how how everybody just loved playing there. Yes, it was a bathhouse of a ballpark. Yes, it was built in the 1910s, you know, but but it was a connection to the past. And I was sorry to lose it. and And sure, they have a better facility now. It's more modern. It's more up to date it's probably a better place to play for the players and the amenities are better for the fans, but man, you know, there were so many great things about that park. And, and, and for a while I was a white Sox fan because I never really had a connection to an American league team. Like I did that first year in Chicago, you know, I didn't like the Cubs. I was still a Reds fan. So I'm like, Oh, I can, I can like this team. I can get excited about them. And, and, and I remember how they competed with the A's all year long, and the A's had that hated team, you know, with Canseco and Maguire and Henderson and just the, and Dave Stewart. And there was that interview with Dave Stewart where he's like, oh, Carlton Fisk, Yvonne Calderon, Ron Kittle, the only players over there who could hold my jock. And he had that really high voice, you know what I mean? And yeah. we uh, make fun of him, and then the fans – made a massive jock strap and they brought it in to the ballpark and right. hung it from the upper deck in the outfield. I mean, it was just all sorts of great stuff like that. And, and, and I don't know if you watch the whole thing. I don't know how many games you got to see at that ballpark, but, yeah. but I certainly miss it. And I hope you do too.
0: Yeah. Well, you do know that I despise the White Sox. Right?
1: I know you, you do. You,
0: I have a back, background that goes back way into the seventies, why I dislike the Sox. In fact, I'm not going to bore our listener uh, retelling that story. So it was difficult for me to watch it. However, there were a couple of things that, that really kind of touched me and and made me, gave me moments uh, to think Um, had nothing to do with the white Sox. Um, I did not know what a um, important player uh, you know, Ozzie Guillen, when he was originally traded to the Sox yeah. for, for Lamar Hoyt, that was a scandal in this town in or in the south side of Chicago because Hoyt was a Cy Young award winner. I mean, he in 83, like he walked like four people the whole season. He was yeah. a, this incredible, yeah. accurate pitcher. Um, and to get this young shortstop from the Padres was just, uh, you know, the south side folks didn't like it. And it turned out that Guillen not only – grew up as as a White Sox player and, and people loved him, people hated him, but he was a in-your-face kind of hold-you-accountable type of player and then became a manager and then they won the World Series with him. It's just – that's an incredible story. But to me, it was about two people. Chicken Willie Thompson yeah. was the chef that works underneath the stadium in one of those little cubby holes that you see yeah. in these old stadiums. And the other thing, too, is – as a Tiger fan, this stadium was built the same year as Tiger Stadium, and they're very similar. I always thought that Comiskey uh, was a sister stadium of Tiger Stadium. They're Again, very close to the action. Not as close in Detroit, but almost as close. And so I always had fond memories of going to the park, but I learned very early on not to wear Tiger gear there. If yeah. I wanted to get out in one piece, especially yeah. on felon night or, yeah. you know, one of these, uh, you know, uh, that's the other thing, too. They they were some of the most creative people. The Sox were Bill Vex specifically, uh, as far as creating excitement around, you know, the, the boring game of baseball. But the other person be, uh, was Nancy Faust. Oh, and, thank you. Thank and and you. after seeing the segment on Nancy Faust, I think she might belong in the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah. As far as making, and I know that they've never put in a person like that. But if you go back and look what she did and what it is today, she she is the the mother of it. She or or as the originator of it, however you want to say it. And I, I'm not so sure she gets the proper credit that she deserves. No, she
1: she really she invented the walk-up song. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, she she used to do those promos for the White Sox about how she had the record for playing in more White Sox games than anyone. Right, you know? right, right. And, uh, you know, but but she's like, you know, she was just like this woman, you know, this nice old lady, you know, right. she was a young woman initially, but she was there for so long that she became this kind of like motherly figure. Correct, correct. You know, but, who, but again,
0: I, I, I think you got to go and examine what she actually did um and and th- at least put something of, of, of an acknowledgement of of her into the hall of fame because i i really think it's 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 overdue but for me it was another again you know nostalgia i remember in 90 i went to one of the last games at comiskey and, and so I, I felt very sad and just like i did in detroit in in 99 or 2000 or whatever it was that last game at tiger's game which i was at that game um, um so
1: yeah you know I, I went to the last night game at comiskey park And, uh, you know, I just I I remember going to a game. It was Fourth of July weekend uh, against the A's. And uh, they were
0: who was their arch nemesis in the 90 season, by the way.
1: Yes. Who was their arch nemesis? And they were fighting the A's all year long. Right. And they 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 won a night game on a Saturday night. And I remember Bobby Thigpen striking out Dave Henderson to end the game. And yeah, 50,000 yeah. people there. Uh, yep, yep. And every pair of fists just went straight up in the air when he just swung through that pitch. And everybody was so rowdy and boisterous. I remember my friend had to go to the bathroom and he said that there was a line to pee in the sink. Oh yeah.
0: The bathroom. Oh, yeah. And then a guy walked not, not, I've seen that happen many times
1: at that place. And then a guy walked in with a Cubs hat. And they booed him out of yeah. the back. <laughs> and, and I remember it was so crowded to get on the L to go home that my friend and I, and this was probably a bad idea at the time, we just decided to walk from 35th Street to the Loop. And we walked straight up, you know, I guess State Street. And that was a rough neighborhood at that
0: yeah, time. Yeah, no, it was. It was. <laughs> and, and,
1: uh, it's, again, not a good idea, but we got through it okay, thank, you know, and uh, our better angels were looking out for us. Um, the, you know, the,
0: I, I have to, I have to say, because so I don't want to disparage White Sox fans too much, but the Tiger fans were identical to them. Yeah, they were working right. class heroes, and lots of fights broke out at both stadiums, lots of yeah.
1: them. Yeah, no, you're right. It was a rough and rowdy place. It was completely a contrast to Wrigley Field. Yes, you know? uh, and uh, and you know, it, it it it's the two sides to that Chicago baseball coin. Well, you know, well, Wrigley's like
0: Disneyland. It's not
1: really real. Well, Roger Angel described Wrigley Field once as, as the good ship cubby. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. It's just sort of <laughs> this fun amusement park kind of place, you know, where everybody's having a good time and it's day baseball and it's so happy. Whereas the White Sox, it's more serious. It's more cynical. It's angrier. It's rougher, you know, and, and, it, it 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 it's that side of Chicago that that maybe a lot of people don't sort of know and 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 when you compare the two fan bases, I suspect that the White Sox fan base is not quite as large as the Cubs fan base, but uh, but it's no less passionate.
0: No, there's no doubt about. It. Actually, I'll make you the case that maybe the Sox is more passionate. whether, yeah, whether you yeah. like it or not, if, if you you know, a Sox fan is knowledgeable of the game. A Cubs fan is knowledgeable about the beer at the game the types of beer that, that does have an IPA, you know, that it's just, it's just weird. But um, Hey, before I forget, I wanted to bring up the fact, did you
1: see Drew Smiley almost through a perfect game the other day? I listened, I was listening to that game on the radio uh, coming back from work. And I, and I was like, you know, you know how it is when you just get in the car and you're trying to piece together what's going on, you know, and you're like, okay, somebody scored two runs. So-and-so scored two runs. Smiley's still in the game. So they're winning. Obviously, They're winning. What's the score? And then the play happened, you know, and and they're just like, oh, my God, what a terrible way for that no hitter to end. Because basically, uh, I don't know, I forget who the hitter was, but he hits a little squibber down the left field line. The catcher, Jan Gomes, goes after the ball. Smiley moves to his right to field it. They both kind of arrive at the ball at the same time. Smiley picks it up. Gomes tries to get out of the way by sort of leaping over him yeah. and he ends up just sideswiping him and, and just kind of like a car that runs over a pedestrian, you know yeah. what I mean? A yeah. little In an intersection right. and they're both laying there on the grass and it's a hit all the way, you yeah. know what I mean? Just a tough chance. And that's just the way it goes. But, uh, but, no, but that's but the kind of the thing, thing that's like the, the,
0: the, uh, the Bill, uh, what do you call it? Bill Buckner type of uh, a play that could define you, you know, hopefully Gomes is going to be okay. Cause actually he's, he's done a very good job. Oh, he's uh, been great. And I'm going to talk, talk about him. I'm going to talk about him in the Wilson Contreras uh, thing. Um, but uh, I'm this, I don't know whether you saw this in 2010, Armando Galarraga pitching yeah. for the Detroit Tigers had two outs in the ninth of a perfect game. And Jim Joyce, the first base umpire, called the guy safe at first base on a, on an infield play. And the guy was out.
1: He was and, out. And, yes.
0: and and I'll make you the case, it's one of the most memorable non perfect games if not the most memorable non-perfect game there ever was but that's what this kind of reminded me of because i watched the entire game it just so happens that day i was watching the games because i gotta be honest with you about something we follow basically here the tigers the cubs and the white Sox, and of those teams the cubs is the best team the the cubs is head and shoulders the best team if and if you have a choice between those three for different reasons, you want to watch the Cubs because they are actually, they're making strides. They're improving themselves. Um, But Smiley has been around for a while and I was really rooting for him to kind of yeah. get this. You know, as a fan, when you're watching a no-hitter or a perfect game, you're vested too. So when they lose those games, I feel like, you know, the wind's knocked out of you because you, you're you're a mo. You know, mostly I'm like, come on, we're we're moving towards this great
1: accomplishment, and then when you fall just short of it, it well, it's that's what's so love. amazing about a no hitter is just how the pressure builds with every single out. Of the tension mounts. You know what I mean? And and a perfect mounts- game, there's only been 23 perfect games, man. Only yeah. 23 in the history of the game. No one's ever thrown more than one. Yeah. As great as Nolan Ryan is, no one's ever thrown more than one. Yeah, Nolan Ryan threw seven no-hitters, but not one of them was perfect. Right. You know, and and, and it and it's an exciting thing. And I'm glad I got to see a no-hitter. I actually saw two, but one. I was know you did.
0: I, I,
1: I, but you uh did. but 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 it, it's 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 you know, and, and and it's it's a testament to smiley and 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 two things that the Cubs made a commitment to Smiley and Smiley made a commitment to the Cubs because he's been with them for a while, but he's been injured and they stuck with him and they kept trying to bring him back and rehab him and get him back on the field. And, you know, he was injured and he never really got a chance to pitch for the Cubs. So he signed, I think a kind of a club friendly deal because he wanted to make good on the commitment that they had made to him. And I think it's finally bearing some fruit and he throws that knuckle curveball that's so hard to hit, you know. And uh I, I'm just thrilled. And right now, I mean, the, the Cubs, even though they, they they lost uh the first two, I think, to Miami here, and they're kind of going through a rough. Yeah, bad.
0: but Steele's pitching today, baby. That's and right. That, he's one of the best pitchers in the national league.
1: And and the thing about the Cubs is they're unlike the White Sox, they're competitive. Yes, you know, they have a plan. Bellinger has regained his form. Correct. He has 10 home runs. They're, they're, you know. And and
0: Suzuki's back. He started out
1: slow, but he's back. He's back. Swanson, Horner are very good. I wish they were a little better at first base. Gomes has been amazing, which you're going to bring up in just a minute. Yeah. Let's get to that, actually. Let's go right to Jan Gomes because we got rid of a very popular catcher. We allowed him to sign with our our rival, division rival, the Cardinals. Yeah, and and you know of the two catchers right now, Gomes has had far and away the better season.
0: Not just that, but uh, uh, it wasn't the Athletic. It might have been the New York Times. Uh, one of the articles I read this past week kind of brought up some very interesting things about Wilson Contreras. Number one, as the catcher for the Cubs last year, certainly, and their team ERA, which was four point three five, and his ERA in St. Louis it's 4.39 and now gomes um as the cubs catcher it's like 3.5 and last year in st louis theirs was 3.5 in the last year with molina and basically what this author was saying is is it is it you know is it contreras is he the one that that he just can't handle the pitching staff because st louis is struggling mightily they're the I can't believe I'm saying this. They're the worst team in the National League Central by mm. a lot, even by metrics, by run differential, whatever met, whatever method you want to use, um they're they're bringing up the rear and the team that's bringing that's in first place and the best team in the National League is the Pittsburgh Pirates.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. I love it. I, I love it. What what's going on in the world? Is this Armageddon? I know. I know. This is completely unexpected. That the, the Pirates sit atop the division and the Cardinals are at the bottom. And no one would have expected this going into this year, but the Car- but the Pirates are hitting the cover off the ball. Yeah. And there are all these yeah. feel good stories. Who's that guy, Maji? That guy who was in the minor leagues. He played over a, th- how, a thousand minor league games. Nine. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. The guy that they just brought up. Uh, yeah. At, at age 33. At age 33,
1: he. Finally gets to break into the major leagues. What a great story that is. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're and, just... and this
0: is all without their star six foot 10 shortstop uh, Cruz, who's out with a, with a bum foot. So when he comes yeah. back, they're going to be even better. You know, Sparky had this measurement that he would say after 40 games of every season, you can tell what, how a team's going to be. Generally speaking, if they're going to be good, if they're not going to be good, if they've got the potential to come back, it's not perfect, but we're getting to that point in the season where this, the Pittsburgh team is 20 and eight with a seven fourteen winning percentage. Only the Tampa Bay team is better in all the major league baseball. Only
1: twenty one and five or something Well, yeah. or
0: 23 and five or something like that. Or yeah, I think it's 23 and five because, uh, because, uh, uh, what do you call it, His three, three games behind them. Um, so um, yeah, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. So it, it's the, it's it, they yes, they are for real to answer the question. And, you know, you better start taking them seriously. And, and not only that with Milwaukee and the Cubs are over 500, then I can't believe I'm saying that, that, that the Cubs are part of this discussion but the central is very competitive it's not a throwaway league it's not like the american league central where you have minnesota and every other team is under 500 you know in the in the national league central watch out for the cubs but the, but pittsburgh they've won 9 of their last 10 games that's i'm just telling you that's
1: that's the, they're somebody, they and, are and somebody. You know, i mean watch out for the cubs i think the cubs best baseball is ahead of them and they at least as an organization they seem to have a plan, you know, as far as their, the way that they're building that pitching staff. I'm very bullish on uh, on what the Cubs are going to do. It's very exciting. You're so right.
0: it's, it's that time in the show where yeah. we have
1: to pick the films
0: for next uh, next show. So um,
1: y- you could go first. Um, I'm going with a movie that actually has come out fairly recently and a movie I've, I haven't seen and that I've been wanting to see for quite some time. And that is, uh, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. It's called Argentina, nineteen eighty four. So uh, it's about the, uh, the sort of the, the after effects of the Dirty War and some of the political murders that had taken place and some of the ramifications. So I'm looking forward to seeing that.
0: Awesome, as am I. I haven't seen that either, so I am looking forward to seeing that. Um, by the way, Hollywood made some uh, some decent fictionalized stories about that time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it, so is this a documentary or a? No,
1: yeah, oh, no, no. This is this is uh, this a is a drama. dramatization. He has the actor, again, I'm terrible, I forget his name, but remember the movie we saw Nine Queens about the Conor? Oh, yeah,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Ruben, Ruben Dario. Or, yeah,
0: or, or, something like that, yeah. a fine
1: actor. Yeah, um, He's a man who's had many chances to make movies in Hollywood, but he refuses to do it.
0: Interesting. Well, so, I look forward to seeing that. Um, so for you, uh, we're going to go back to 1975, Gene Hackman, in uh, one of the great noir '70s film called Night Moves.
1: Night Moves. This is one I have not seen. Night Moves. Beautiful.
0: All you right. are in
1: for a treat. <laughs> All right, I'm looking forward to that. All right, so until next time, we are the two peas in the podcast.
0: Lady, I've been thinking.
1: But I miss my lady Almarina In a coffee Riding in the